Thank you very much. Uh, you may be seated. Um, so grateful for uh, the opportunity once again uh, to come and uh, preach the Word of God. And uh, we definitely have a need there in Arizona. Uh, actually, uh, seven other pastors and myself got together and we uh, began to kind of try to work together to find out how we can reach the state in a greater way. And so we've just recently done a video on the need, and we're calling it the Multitudes of Maricopa. Uh, as he mentioned, when you come into this Phoenix area, you don't leave. You don't even know when you're in Phoenix or Mesa or Glendale or uh, Goodyear. I mean, they all just combine together, and you say, I don't even know what town I'm in right now because you just never leave. Everything all connects, and it just continues to grow out. And uh, so there's a, a major need for churches. There's uh, towns in areas with over 100,000 people and growing that do not even have a church within 20 minutes. I had a lady that we had won to the Lord, and she was about 30 minutes away. And 30 minutes away sometimes in Phoenix could be an hour depending on the traffic. And so it was hard for her to get to church. And so she said, is there any church that is closer to me so I can make it to church instead of watching online. And so I began to search the area and I said, well, there's a church this way, but it's only about three minutes closer than we are. And so what happens is, is a lot of times they don't know where to go because they don't have a church that they can go to. So we can reach them and we can uh, get them saved and baptized, but then how do they grow in a church if they aren't close to a church. And so uh, those that don't have a church, they need a church. And so that's why we have a desire, of course, to see more that would come to Arizona. You know, we need missionaries going out into the world, but we have a mission field right in Arizona. One of the greatest needs we have in Arizona would be for Spanish-speaking uh, uh, churches. I've even talked to a church in uh, Tucson area and told them the need that we don't have in our church or any of the neighboring churches a Spanish ministry. And we have facilities. At our church alone, we could start a Spanish ministry. I just don't have somebody that can do that. And so there's been a prayer on our heart to see somebody that would be willing to come and to say, we want to work alongside with somebody just like happens here and have a ministry for the Spanish speaking people. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people that come in Spanish speaking in Arizona a year and they don't have a place to go, a place to be ministered to. And so you pray uh, if you would. And I'm grateful that you are focusing in on the need and continue to pray for that need. And so maybe the Lord would burden your heart. Uh, maybe you even speak Spanish and you would say, I, I would, I would uh, love to do that if God would call me to do that. And then we would love to uh, chat and talk with you about that and uh, the Lord could use you in a great and mighty way. Uh, if you would take your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 4. And I'm going to kind of jump around. We're going to cover a lot of the text. It's a very familiar text, but, you know, as I began, I had already a message printed out, ready to go when uh, uh, shortly after being asked, I said, okay, I feel this is what God would have me do. And the Lord changed that. And, uh, you know, he has a way of doing that. 
And uh, so 1 Samuel chapter number 17, and uh, if you would, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Verse number 4 is where we'll start, and then I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, this morning. 1 Samuel 17, verse 4, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now verse 23, And as he talked with them, Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. Now look at verse 51. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head. There, therewith and... And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. You know, only three times you will find this word or title champion in the Bible. Goliath was a champion, known as a champion, a hero, a brave warrior, bold in contest, undefeated, unmatched in size, in physical strength. His armor alone probably weighed as much as David did. In 40 days, this champion stood up and called for a challenger to fight against him. In verse 11, the Bible says here, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of this Philistine, this champion, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were sore afraid and greatly afraid, the Bible says in another passage. They fled from him, zero faith, zero courage to fight with him. That is until David comes along. You see that all that Goliath had was external. Goliath was the champion of the Philistines. Saul was the champion of Israel, yet nowhere does he plan to fight. But David was the champion of God. If you're going to do the will of God, and if you're going to live as God would have you live, you are going to have to face giants in your life. And it will start in the heart. It will start where David's did. How he won the battle was in the heart. This morning, with the Lord's help, we are going to look at this passage of Scripture and how we can learn to be more than a champion. Shall we pray? Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of the Word of God. I pray as we look into it this morning, you would help us to gain truths from the Word of God and how to help our lives to be better servants for you. Bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Now we can make application all morning about the life of David and how he became more than a champion, but I want to point out some key areas of David's life that we need in our life if we're going to be more than a champion. Now, how was David a champion? How did he become more than a champion, even you could say? Well, first of all, notice in verse number 13, and the Word of God says in verse number 13 of our text, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle, and the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next unto him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And David was the youngest of the three eldest followed Saul, and, but David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now look at verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. 
And he came to the trench of the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. Now look at verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper and the carriage uh, uh, of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. I want us to see first and foremost this morning that David was a champion in his closet. And the reason I gave it that is we find David faithful when nobody was looking. You know, it's pretty easy to be faithful or to be right or whatever the case is when nobody else is around. Kind of like when you're driving here. You know, I had to fight storms and uh, the, the normal six and a half hour drive was about eight hours of drive because of all the rain and so forth. But you know, as you're driving along, everything's fine. And, and all of a sudden, you're just kind of just, uh, you're very relaxed a lot of times as you're driving. And then all of a sudden, you see a police officer. And all of a sudden, your driving becomes really, really in tune. You're ready. You're, you're, you're uh, uh, doing everything right. Everything's ten, 10 and 2. I mean, you're using the blinker. You're not even thinking about picking up a phone or doing anything like that. I mean, you are just following the rules because you have that. It's easy to do all of those things when you have somebody there that's watching. But what about when somebody is not watching? I remember I was leaving a, a meeting, a preacher's meeting, and afterwards I was leaving the hotel, and <clears throat> we were about to get on a freeway, and I saw this car that was in front of me, and it had a, what would be a symbol, what a lot of people would know, uh, of course we don't uh, believe that, but they would, it would be, look like Jesus, and uh, it had a little thought bubble on the side of it, and it said these words, I saw that, I saw that. And you think about that, that is so true, that God sees, Jesus sees everything we do. And David was faithful to do what he was told to do. David's anointed the next king of Israel, and yet he's faithful doing the work that he's called to do, taking care of the sheep, taking care of the carriage, taking care of all the things he's supposed to do, because he's faithful even though nobody was watching. You will never take down giants in your life if you're not faithful in your private area of life. You will never do it in the public area of life. David was content to do the task he was told to do, and he did it faithful, uh, faithfully. Be content with whatever God has for you. Whatever it is, be faithful to do it, and do it until the Lord tells you to do something else. Be faithful in the field because God knows exactly where you are. Be faithful doing the work, taking care of the sheep, whatever the, the, the situation comes in your life. Just do it to the best of your ability with God's help. Not just when people are looking either. You know, the Bible says that David rose early in the morning and leaves the sheep with the keeper. David left a carriage in the hand of the keeper. You see, David is going to have victory in the public arena because he had victory in the private arena. And you will never have victory in your life, in the public areas of life, and do something great for God if you don't first do it in your closet. When you, when you make a decision, you have to say, I need to do this because it's right before God, not just right because somebody is watching me. Now look at verse 34. The Bible says in verse 34, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant that kept thy father's sheep 
Notice he said, his father's sheep. And, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out of, after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant sl slew both the lion and the bear and, his, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. You know what I don't see in this passage? I don't see that David is bragging about his accomplishments to his brothers. As far as they knew, and as far as we read, David was a nobody, and David didn't accomplish anything in his life according to his brothers. Notice when uh, it, later on in the passage, when he comes to see the battle, his brother said, where are those few sheep? In the wilderness, where are those few sheep? What have you done with them? And David says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? I'm doing what my father told me to do. I came to bring you some food. I came to do what I was told to do. David is faithful in his private life, in his closet, you could say. David said to Saul, thy servant, thy servant, thy servant. David is submissive to authority, whether they're watching him or not. You see, we need to follow the rules of the road because we have an authority over us more than a police officer. We need to follow the rules of a school more than the authority of uh, deans or, or presidents or those that are our leaders, our class leaders. It doesn't matter. We have an authority even greater than that. So David kills a lion and a bear while they're in their mouths, the Bible says. I mean, now, I don't know about you, but I probably would have said something like this. In the midst of that situation, I would have probably said, too bad for that one. Are you with me? I don't know if a, a lamb was, was taken out of the flock, if I'd be chasing down a bear or a lion, I, I probably would have came back and said, hey, Dad, sorry, we lost a couple today. Well, why would he fight for one? Well, think about this, that, that, that an animal that gets a taste for blood is not going to just be satisfied with one. He'll be back for more later. You decide to put out some food because our neighbors do it. They put out food for some cats, stray cats. Before you know it, now you have two and then you have four and then you have six because they're going to keep coming back where the food is at. So David's faithful to say, I'm not going to allow just one even, because you guess what? If you let one go, that lion and that bear is going to come back. It wasn't that long ago that we had a, uh, uh, there was a bear attack in Prescott, which is just north of us, about an hour and a half. And they had to hunt down that bear because that bear had attacked a human being. And they said if that bear attacks a human being and gets a taste for blood, he's going to come back again and attack another human being. So anytime an animal goes after a human, they have to take care of that animal because it's going to come back. And David understood this. If I don't stop this now, if I'm not faithful to this now, guess what's going to happen? That bear and that lion is going to come back for food again. You see, you've got to take care of the bears. You will never have victory with Goliath until you deal with the bears. Be a champion in your closet, in your private life, 
make a decision with God's help to say this. I want to be faithful in and out of my life, not just when somebody's watching, not just when my roommates are looking. I don't want to get up and read my Bible and pray and ask God for help and ask God for to help the Southwest and all of that just because somebody's watching me. I want to be faithful in my private life. I remember it was in the old chapel. Now it's the kids' wing, and, but that's where we started chapel, and we had classes over there when I was a student here. I mean, it's amazing to think how old I am that uh, some of you weren't even born when I was a student here. Now, the one thing I've noticed here is he doesn't age at all. Neither does Dr. R. I mean, and Brother Weaver, I got to travel with him. I mean, they've never changed in 20 years. I mean... Uh, my wife just told me how much gray I have in my beard. She thought it was soap in my, in my beard, and, I, and she goes, oh, no, that's gray. Uh, man, that's when you start feeling old, you know? But the thing about it is, is, you know, when I was here in, in school, I, there was a, a student, you probably have heard the name of R.B. Ouellette, and his daughter was in school, and we had to sit according to, uh, you know, uh, our alphabetical order and stuff so we'd call out the names and that's before you guys had all the fancy check-in things and stuff we used to have to actually like put it on paper and scratch the name off and stuff and uh, so she sat right in front of me and I, I still remember it she sat right in front of me and on the front of her book she had this quote and I don't know who it came from but it still it stuck with me because every time we'd stand up for prayer or every time we'd stand up at the end of the class I'd see that on the front of her notebook and it said this you are who you are when nobody is looking. You are who you are when nobody is looking. And there's a reason I believe she put that in on her book because in, in school you're tempted to do things. I mean, you can be in a Bible college and be tempted to cheat. You can be in a Bible college and attempt to, to, to cut corners. You can be in a Bible college and attempt to say, you know what, I'm hearing preaching every day. I don't need to get in God's word. I don't need to get this. Well, you need to have a personal relationship with God and have that relationship in your private area because you will never have a relationship or do something great in the public until you first do it in the private. Be a champion in your closet. Secondly, we need to understand in this passage of scripture, be a champion in your courage. And David was, notice in verse 32, the Bible says this, and David said unto Saul, let no man heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, David saw the fear on the, on the faces. He saw the, those that fled because of Saul. He says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this problem. Now, he wasn't doing this as a sense of pride. He was doing it in the sense of, I have a power that God has given me, ability that God has that, that has enabled me to do the work that God's called me to do. And he says, hey, God, God gave me victory over a lion and a bear. He can give me victory over this Philistine too. You see, he witnessed the people flee from Goliath. And as far as I read, David only saw him one time. I don't think David was over there seeing him a bunch of times and trying to muster up this courage and say, I got to find a way to fight this Philistine. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but man, it's, I got to do this. No, I believe when he saw him one time, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He doesn't have to wait for somebody else to say, come on, David, go out and fight. No, he makes a decision. Why are you worried about this? 
Why are you failing to move forward in life? God has given us the victory already. He's ready to fight. You see, he had been preparing already in his private life. Where are the young men and women who will fight for this generation? You see, David is not just standing for himself. He's standing for his family. He's standing for his future. And you have to make a decision in your life right now, and it's going to start in your private life, but you're going to have to make a decision right now. I'm going to stand for this generation. I'm going to stand for what's right, and it starts with one. It starts with one that has the courage to be able to stand and say, I'm going to fight. You know, when I was in growing up in school, we, of course, you mentioned I have a lot of siblings, and I have six brothers and four sisters. So there's 11 in my family. So there was never a dull moment in our family, for sure. But my friend Adam and I, he went to school here as well, and we were out, uh, I was probably maybe 10 or 11 at the time, I'm not sure, but uh, I do, do, re, do remember the event. We would ride our bikes in this area which was called the Springs, and it was a beautiful area where you, they had some hills and, and everything and waterfalls and stuff like that and some, a lot of different ponds and everything, so we'd ride our bikes around this area which was real close to our house. And we came up uh, 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 along these two other kids that were there. And these two other kids that were there were, uh, were kind of messing around, trying to be tough and like bully type kids. And a kid over there, he, he pulls out a knife and he has a, a knife in his hand and he goes like this. He's like, he's like playing with a, this pocket knife, okay? And he's playing with his pocket knife and, you know, me being a tough kid, I said, my brother got a bigger knife than that. <laughs> and then he came and he put that knife right to my neck. And he said, say it again. I wasn't so tough anymore. Because I didn't have a pocket knife. I didn't have any way to fight him. So I kind of just backed down and, you know, I'm all worried about it. And so I jump on my bike and guess what I did? I went home and I ran inside our room and I said this. I said to my brother Phil, Adam was there and Wesley and Mark and Joel and everybody, all my brothers, we got a whole posse who started riding our bike back to this place. I said, you know what this kid did? And so we grabbed all of our pocket knives and we grabbed those bigger pocket knives and I'm telling you, we ran right back to those springs and I went up there and I, I jumped off my bike and I said, my brother's got a bigger knife than you. I mean, I... I saw this kid get on his bike and take off, and I'm like, ah, we're high-fiving. You want to know why I was doing that? Because in the midst of it, I didn't think I had any courage. But when I had backup, I had all the courage in the world. Do you realize that if you leave this place, you have a lot of backup here in the school you have a lot of people that are behind you. They're, they're excited about what God's going to do in your life. But all of a sudden, you go out into, into a world, and you may feel like you're all alone. But let me just tell you this. David made a decision in his private life that made him powerful in his public life. And he had a decision and a determination. Hey, everyone else is, uh, is failing. Everyone else is afraid. But I'll go and fight with him because I know what God's done in my private life. I know what God's done that nobody else has seen. And when you know that, you will go out and do a, a world of difference in a world that needs you because you have a God that's behind you. Every stop, every stop, 
step of the way, every problem you go through, God will be right there. Be a champion in your courage. There's another truth I want us to see in this verse, in these verses. And notice verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. Be a champion, thirdly, in your confidence. Because you have courage and you've been in your closet with the Lord, you have a confidence that you can go on and do great things for God. He will deliver. David didn't say, I I think he'll do it. He said, he will deliver. He delivered out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver. The problem is, most of the time, is we depend on we. Instead, depend on he. He will deliver. We cannot do it alone. We need God's help. You will not. It won't be about the training that you get. It won't be because you have some great leaders behind you. It'll be because God is with you every step of the way. Saul says a great line. I want you to notice this in verse 37. He says, go And the Lord be with thee. Sounds great, doesn't it? But what does he do in the very next verse? And Saul armed David with his armor. You know what? It's almost like he's saying, okay, go and the Lord be with you. But here, take my armor because it's going to help you in the battle. David had just given Saul some, some great truths about his life. God gave me victory over a lion and a bear, and David didn't have armor to win those battles because he had already put on the armor of God in his life. He doesn't need Saul's armor. Saul's armor is a picture of the flesh. You try to do it in the picture of the flesh, it's never going to happen. Saul tried to get him fitted for battle, but he didn't need that. Notice verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying? I've already been fitted for battle. He didn't need Saul's armor because he had already been fitted in battle with the Lord of hosts on his side. And if you make a decision to do anything for God, you need to be fitted for battle, and that's in your closet in your courage, and in your confidence. You see, it didn't work for Saul. It didn't work for Israel, the the armor. It would not work for David either. So notice what verse 39, and David girded his sword upon armor, and he, he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these. He didn't say, I don't think it's a good idea. He said, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them, and David put them off. I mean, this would be a hard, I mean, I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking of of David looking at a king, and he has to tell him, no, I've not proved this. I can't go with this. He was basically saying, Saul, you don't have the answers. God has already given the answers. So David is a champion 
in his closet. He's a champion in his courage. He's a champion in his confidence in God. And finally, I want us to see this morning, David is a champion in his conquering. Notice in verse 50, the word of God says this. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. By the way, those have been proven. God will use what you have in your hand to do the work, but he wants you to prove those with him. And so he used a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood on the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, I almost imagine it like this. I like to put myself in stories of the Bible and kind of like envision it in my mind. I, I kind of see the picture of this battle and there's, here's all the Philistines over here and here's all the Israel over here and they're watching this battle taking place and I'm sure a lot of the people of Israel were probably going, that's our, that's our giant? That's our man? I mean, the, the Philistine mocks him and laughs at him and David says, hey, I don't want to be the one to win this battle to say I'm the one that did it. I want you to know that God did this. And so that's, that's the kind of uh, attitude he has. And, and then the Bible says that he flung that stone and it hits Saul in the forehead. He falls flat on his face. And I almost imagine the Philistines probably going, ooh, that ain't going to be good. Are you with me? Yeah. And all of a sudden uh, they're going, come on, Saul, get up. Or Goliath, get up, get up, come on, get up, come on, take off his head, come on, come on, uh, beat this little twerp. (laughs) David runs to Goliath, no sword, because remember, he didn't take Saul's. Because look at this way, when you don't take the flesh with you and you take God, God always provides what you need for the battle. I don't have a sword. God will provide it. I don't have the resources. God will provide it. I found that out in college so many times where I didn't think I was going to be able to pay for school. I mean, I've told some of the student body probably here a couple years ago, I was in a terrible accident on Avenue K, lost my car, didn't have any money. Thought I was going to be leaving school. Lost my brother while I was in school. Thought I was going to be leaving school. And God, through all of those things, still kept me where I needed to be. He provided every step of the way. Because where God guides, he provides. I still remember that quote at this school. And where God guides, he provides. Wherever you go in life, don't depend on the swords of of Saul. Don't depend on the armor of somebody else. Go in the Lord of hosts, in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's the only way that you will conquer the giants in your life. And so David runs to this Goliath and no sword, but stands on him and cuts off his head. Why did David cut off his head? Because it'll come back if you don't. Still remember the time that, and I wouldn't advise doing this, but we were, we were, uh, you know, kind of crazy kids, us brothers, and we were running through Pinnell Mountains, which is about two hour, two hours away from us. We were with some friends that were uh, doing a church plant in Globe, Arizona. 
And uh, so we were there and we were up in the, these mountains and we're just running through the mountains and having fun and all of that. And all of a sudden we come across a coiled rattlesnake on a rock. And we had this bright idea to kill this rattlesnake. You know, we're 9, 10, 11, and my friend had a Swiss Army knife. If you know anything about a Swiss Army knife, a Swiss Army knife's got like 45 different tools on it. And, and so he pulls out his knife and he goes, we can take this. Now, a Swiss Army knife doesn't even have a locking blade. I mean, it's like when you hit it, it's like folds and hit it and folds and stuff like that. I mean, it's just... It's a basic tool for the job, but he had a Swiss Army knife. And so we're going to take on this rattlesnake. Us, you know, 9 and 10 and 11-year-old boys are going to take on this rattlesnake with a Swiss Army knife. So I go and get a stick and I make it into a Y so I can hold it down while he's going to stab it with a Swiss Army knife. And as he's trying to stab this thing, of course, it's trying to come after us. I, I'd advise not to do that because if we would have been bit, we probably wouldn't have been here today, one of us, you know. But we're doing this and, and all of a sudden we, we're stabbing this thing and we think, okay, I think, I think it's dead. I think we finally got it. We're sitting there and the rattle's still going and I said, you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to take off the head. So he took off the uh, Swiss Army knife and he's sawing on this head for like half, half an hour almost. <laughs> You know what? The reason why he did that, because if you take off the head, you don't have to worry about it coming back to bite you. Yeah. You know what Saul wants? Or, uh, the Bible says when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. I just imagine them going, come on, Goliath, get up, get up, get up. And then all of a sudden, oop, he ain't coming back from that one. His head's there. He ain't coming back. Now they have to run. Now they have to flee. Finish the job. Amen. I think about that in our, in our lives oftentimes. We'll come to an altar and we, we, we know we need to get rid of some sin. We know we need to get rid of some friends. We know we need to get something that maybe on social media that's holding you back. And you come and you, and you say, okay, I need to get right. I need to have victory over this. What you need to do is you need to take the head off. Just take it and remove it completely out of your life. The contact has to go. The, the people back home that are trying to pull you back from what God wants from you, you have to champion. You have to be a champion in your conquering. Finish the job. Notice in verse 54. David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now look at verse 57. David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine. Abner took him uh, of the Philistine. Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. Now, this is not an area of pride, I don't believe, in his life, but he's displaying the power of God. You see, David, he goes to one place and he's got the Philistine's head in his hand. And he goes to the next place and he got the Philistine's head in his hand. And I'm just imagining him. He's probably walking around going, eh. Look at this. Look at this. Everywhere he's going, he's got the head of the Philistine in his hand. He wasn't doing it as a symbol of pride, I don't believe. I, was, I, I believe truly that David is showing Saul, this is the power of God. This is how God gives you victory. And so the thing about it is, is you have to make a decision in your life to take the head off. And you have to say, that's the power of God. But here's the truth. Heads only last so long. 
Look back 54 again. And he brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Whose armor is this? This is the armor of Saul, or a Goliath. See, that head was eventually going to decay and not going to be able to carry that around no more. But he could go into his closet once again. When he needed strength for the battle. Because it's not, it's not going to end with Goliath. It really just begins in David's life. He's got to run from Saul now. He's got to run from his own son later on. Think about it. All the battles that David fights. And he puts his armor in his tent. Why would he do that? I mean, just tell you, I believe that he put his armor in his tent to be reminded of what God did, that he could do it again in his life. I believe that probably next to the next to the bearskin rug that he's walking on and, and, and the lion skin that's on the on the side of the tent. Right. He's got all of these reminders of the victories that God has done. If you go into my office today, I still have the same box. It's a Fila shoebox. This was when Fila used to be popular, and then it kind of went away, and then that came back again, and I think it's kind of going out again. You guys know what I'm talking about, Fila shoes? I had a Fila box because I paid for these shoes, and I was so proud of this Fila box and how I got them and stuff. And in that Fila box in my office, I can open my office thing, and you know what it's full of? It's full of all the messages that I heard while I was in Bible college. And I heard a message, and I don't remember much of it, but I remembered it was entitled, More Than a Champion. From that day on, I began to start saving every message that God spoke to my heart, that God did something in my heart. God did something in my life, and it went in that box. And every time something went wrong in my life, and every time God got me through it, I put it in that box. And I can go back to my office, and I can pull out that box. And I can think of the messages that this man preached and Dr. R preached, and I still have them. Brother Weaver preached messages and other men that from this college. And I'll go back and I'll open up those, those books and I'll look through all of those pages and I'll look through all of those messages and I'll remember what God did in that chapel service. The only way you're going to be a champion and you're conquering is to remember what God does in your heart and he'll do it again and again. I want to close with a young man that I went to school with. It was a high school. He never came to college. But I remember he used to come to the youth conferences here and we'd come to college days here and his name was Jerry. Jerry kind of battled a lot of different things in his life. Majority of his problem was music. And I remember we came to a youth conference and we went back from youth conference and we took everything that we knew that was wrong with, with uh, as a whole youth group. We took it all and we had a burning ceremony in the middle of the parking lot in a metal trash can of all the things that were wrong in our life, whether it was music, some magazines, whatever it is, we just burned it all and we said, we don't want it anymore. And that was the change in our youth group. And Jerry threw all of his music in there. A year later, he comes back and he kind of got 
music back in his life. And I remember he got it and he took a whole thing of CDs and he gave them to Dr. R. He said, I don't want this anymore. It was the music. Music led to other things. And before long, he, I went to college and others went to college and he kind of just did his own thing at home. Didn't hear anything about Jerry's life for quite a long time. I heard he had gotten married and then fell into some problems there and ended up going back home and he got into drugs. A few years ago, got the phone call that Jerry had overdosed on, on drugs. Died. I thought, you know, I used to be at his house all the time. Used to want to be like him. I used to want to have what he had. He had it all in this life. But we don't have God. You don't have anything. Be a champion in your courage. Be a champion in your closet, first of all. Be a champion in your confidence, but ultimately be a champion in your conquering. You have to take off the head if you're going to move on and do something great for God. Don't let it keep coming back. Say, I'm done with it. I'm getting it over with right now.